Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. Well, good morning. Here at, uh, here at Calvary Lake Ozark, we actually have 10 biblical principles um, that were written long before me and, and really appreciated. And one of those is we are victory certain. And looking around the room at the different jerseys and sportswear, I just kind of hit me. A lot of you don't know what that feeling's like. <laughs> and I'm praying for you. But have that victory certain in Christ, because the team you're rooting for is not going to produce that for you. Sorry, I'm just teasing. Now, I do love uh, the Super Bowl. It's always been kind of fun. My wife said, she was like, hey, what are you going to wear? And we figuring out all that. And she goes, I wish I had a shirt. She saw this saying, she goes, uh, talking about the Super Bowl. I'm just here for the snacks and the 90s rap, right? <laughs> like with the halftime show, a lot of kids are about to find out who their parents really are, if you know who's playing for the halftime. So be praying for them. Those kids, they're not ready for it. Hey, we are in Matthew chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. Again, on the back wall, uh, the connect wall there, as you're walking in, there, uh, our goal is to always have Bibles there. So if you don't have one of your own, please grab one of those. That's our gift to you. Uh, no shame in the game. We're not going to make you fill out a card and five easy payments of, you know, whatever it is. That, that's our gift to you. Uh, so make sure you grab one of those. We are in a sermon series talking about denial. And, and again, just want to reiterate, we're not talking about the world that has rejected God and, and his word and that, you know, doesn't accept who Jesus is or the crossing. We're talking inside the church, even at times for us where we act and respond against our faith and against our theology, where we might know and say this, but that street level, how we really live, sometimes we find ourselves living in denial where the reality doesn't fit my worldview. And there's times that as I'm walking through the word, I have this worldview of what I want from God and what I want his word to say and, and how I was trained up. And then I hit that portion of scripture or I hit that verse or I hit something that just kind of hits a nerve in me. And I have to realign myself to the reality of who God is. I don't have to try to get God to fit into my box of who he is. And so we're walking through this. This is starting, again, chapter 21 starts the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, the, the big uh, losers of the Bible right here are the Pharisees, the religious elite, the scribes, the, you know, the Jewish leaders. And we're seeing in them how they're denying the reality of who Christ is. Obviously, we've seen that all through Matthew, but this is more that formal, official denial that we see. And I still think there's some things that we can glean from that. Again, a, a falling forward, learning from our mistakes where we don't want to fall into the same trap of these religious elite, that there's no real hope for us just to create this new Pharisee style of church, that it didn't work out well for them. And what were some of the dangers that they fell into and how can we avoid those for ourselves. So that's what we're talking about this morning. So if you have your Bible, starting in verse 23, we're going to read to the end of the chapter, a lot of reading here. And when he entered the temple, so when Jesus went into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, and as a pastor, that just ticks me off. 
don't interrupt. Didn't you learn that in kindergarten? If somebody's talking, you don't interrupt. If somebody walked in here and started right in the middle while somebody's talking, let it be worship, let it be announcements, or this mediocre sermon, you know what? That's No, God is a God of order. We're not going to be crazy like that. And so Jesus is up there teaching, and they walk on up and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? I wonder if Jesus just kind of had like a little smirk. Glad you asked. (laughs) And he answered them, I also will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? So they discussed it among themselves, and they even said, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. Scaredy cats. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he continues talking. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father. And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Understand what he just said. To the religious elite, to the leaders of the Jews, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe in him. Like, it was evidential right there before you. And and you still didn't want to change your mind. And he goes, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, again, the religious elite, the ones that knew the word of God, have you never read in the scriptures, and he's quoting Psalm 118 here. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit, 
and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. It's getting pretty intense now. And you kind of wonder, well, no wonder they wanted to kill Jesus. Yep. And they walk in and they hear Jesus teaching. We, We kind of don't know really what he was teaching about. I would like to know that sermon. You know, if you had a week left of your life and you knew it, what would be your last sermon? What would be my last sermon if I knew I was going to die this week? I'm supposed to get on a plane at the end of the week, so maybe that could happen. Hopefully the speaker next week's better. But shouldn't we operate every Sunday that way? What if this was our last Sunday before the Lord returns? Did we fully preach the word of God? Those are things that I hold heavy. And so Jesus is preaching and these scribes and Pharisees, the leaders come rolling in, they're kicking out the doors and all right, all right, we need some answers here. Who allowed you to be here? What authority? Who are you talking about? Like what's going on here? Like they're all that in a bag of chips, right? And Jesus is just, I I think he smirked at this. You want to talk about authority? I would love to talk about authority. I'm so glad that you brought the topic up. Let's have a chat. You want to know the authority by what I do these things? Let me ask you a question. Let's talk about this. And he brings up John the Baptist. And he has a couple questions for them. He says, if you answer me this, all right, we'll talk. And I think this is really good because I think Jesus really wants to have this conversation with them. But he can't go straight to his authority. He's going to lead and draw them into it. Because if he just goes straight to his, I think there's going to be a rejection to it. And so they're coming in, they're asking, what's going on here? By what authority? I think it's a little different. I love to compare it. Look, it's uh, John 3. Uh, When Nicodemus comes to Jesus, comes in a little bit of a different uh, approach to Jesus. So this is John 3, verse 2. And so uh, this man, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus by night, said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's a little, little softer approach right there. Because that's what's crazy. When we, I mean, we're, we're clear in chapter 21. Obviously, the Pharisees didn't know that. The numbers weren't added until the 1500s. But they have seen an extensive part of Jesus' life and ministry. They have seen the miracles that he's performed. They have heard the sermons that he has preached. They've heard the teaching and the parables. They've even seen his lifestyle. We can't catch him in anything. He doesn't jaywalk. He hasn't ran a stop sign. He doesn't even yell at his car when it doesn't want to start. Like this guy's perfect or something. And you would think any one of those categories would at least give them some kind of a hint of the true authority of Jesus. And I think it did. But the problem was, here's this other teacher that's not one of them with probably a pretty good following. See, this wasn't really an issue about what authority that he had. I think his life, his ministry, his teaching could answer the authority that Jesus had. I think this was a question about they were losing authority and they were losing influence and they didn't have the control that they wanted to see. And so Jesus asked them a question says, yeah, let's talk about authority. Let's talk about the authority of John the Baptist. He came in the way of righteousness, but you didn't receive him. 
where did his authority come from? And so he kind of puts them in a little catch-22, and I love that. I love that Jesus is really creative because we're, we're going to walk out his question a little bit more. He's saying if, if it's from heaven, then the, and, the, and the scribes and the Pharisees, they were right. If we say it's from heaven, he's going to say to us, well, then why don't we respond to that? If you were the religious elite, if you were the leaders of this thing, and there's a word from heaven, then why didn't you respond to that? So are they guilty there? So we can't say that, so we take that off the table. Okay, but if we say it's from man, they're fearing the crowds, which is never good if you are a leader to fear what the crowds are going to say, but they did because the crowds believed him to be a prophet. So we can't say that because then the crowds will turn against us. And again, we want that authority. We want control. We don't want to give up any of this. But if you walk that out, no prophet is a prophet apart from God assigning and calling a man a prophet. So you walk each question back to the original source of authority, you get to God each time. So it doesn't matter if they would have said heaven or if they would have said from man, the authority came from God. And so what, what Jesus is showing them is you are rejecting the authority of God that he has placed in your life. And there's authority from God in our lives. We talked about this at the marriage night. And just want a little disclaimer, anything that you may hear from somebody that was there that I might have said or did, they're lying. I'm telling you, they are rotten people, and whatever happened at marriage night stays at marriage night, okay? And so they're looking, and they're talking about the authority, and God has placed three authorities in our lives. There's three ministries and when you say that word, and I'm going to say the next three things, it kind of changes how you view at least one of them. There are three ministries that God has ordained and blessed. Big words right there. To rule over man that are authority in men's lives. Obviously, the family is one of those. That is a ministry of God that he has ordained and blessed to help rule over there. That's why I had kids. I wanted to make people and rule over them. <laughs> as my son looks at me and laughs. He's like, you're more like the joker in the... But the family is a ministry of God. And I'm passionate about dads. I'm passionate about parents stepping up and leading in their families. Because that's his design. Next is the church. It's where we're a part of this. There's a leadership. There's an authority to lead in that. It's one of the most humbling things. Blaze, our previous youth pastor, when I first got here, and it was just me and him as pastoral staff, I, from day one, he just looked at me and said, hey, you're my biblical authority. I thought we were just hanging out. I thought we were just going to do some ministry here. But he just, and, and even uh, my first day, the first Sunday being ordained, Cliff came up and he was talking. He said, uh, obviously it's still stuck with me a year and a half, some later. He said, I'm excited to submit myself under the leadership of our new pastor. This guy's a bodybuilder compared to me in ministry and theology. And this is the guy I run to when I have questions and he's gonna say, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put myself under you. That's, that's humbling. And, and if I'm gonna be very honest, sometimes scary. And, and I think that's exactly where God wants me because if I was really for sure of myself and oh, I got this, don't worry, I wouldn't need God. So I'm waking up every morning, I'm going to bed every night. Lord, I don't know what you're doing with this, 
this bald, crazy guy here in the Ozarks trying to lead a church, but man, I'm going to need you in this. But the church is an authority, a blessed, ordained ministry to rule in our lives. And the last is the government. Paul tells us that in Romans, that the government is a blessed, ordained ministry of God. Pray for your leaders. Not only pray for, you know, they're playing to go down. That's not what we're talking about. I don't like that, President Lord. I'm just praying that he meets you. I just make sure I'm not on his plane. But we're, we're to pray for our leaders. The ones we like, the ones we don't like, pray for our leaders. That is a ministry of God. And it is good. And so he's talking about authority. And so we, you were seeing these religious elite, they want to deny this authority. And I think it's, it's because what they're losing in it. They want to deny this authority because of what they are losing in it. And so Jesus brings up this question to them. And he's trying to pull from them to get really honest about themselves. But if the chief priest and these elders are going to refuse to be honest about the authority of John the Baptist, there really can't be a conversation about the authority of Jesus. Because John was coming and he wasn't trying to change anything. He was just bringing in a message of repentance, trying to turn Israel back to what they were called to be. And that's been the story of the Old Testament. You know, God raises up a prophet as Israel wanders away in wickedness and sin, and the prophet, you know, is supposed to uh, preach and, and bring the people back to the word, to the truth of who God is. To see this transformation and this repentance back to what they're called to be, that's all John was trying to do. And Jesus was the one coming on with the message of doing something different, of doing something new. He wasn't bringing reformation, but transformation. But if you can't even talk about being honest of how you've walked away from the authority in your life of God, it's, it's going to be really hard to have a conversation with Jesus about his authority. And so when they answer in verse 27, they say, we do not know. That wasn't an issue of ignorance, of not knowing. That was an issue of denying. Because they knew absolutely. They knew. But we're going to deny that. Because we're going to try to play arrogance. And I get it. I used to do that all the time. Get in trouble at school. Throw in spit wads. Shooting rubber bands. Teacher turns around. Who did that? I don't know. I don't have an idea. They shouldn't be doing that though, should they? Yeah, I'm with you, teacher. Me and you are on the same page. I used to try to play ignorance all the time. Didn't work because all my friends were rats. They throw me under the bus. But it's not an issue of ignorance, but of denial. And we can't fall into that same trap. Again, not, we're not talking about those outside of the church. We're talking about us inside of the church. When we find ourselves sometimes in opposition to what God has called us to do or what God has called us to be, or sometimes even in, in portions of scripture, it's like, I really don't like that. That kind of hurts. That hits a nerve that's really not my favorite. And we can't play ignorance because we know what God has called us to be, who he's called us to be, and what he's called us to do. And it's a dangerous thing to step into denial. It's way better to step into repentance and to look and see how we've strayed and wandered away 
from God's design and his calling and what he would want to see in us. The most loving thing that Jesus said was, hey, you're like this fig tree that is unfruitful because it was an invitation to step back into it. All of this is an invitation from Jesus to say, hey, you're not, you're not fulfilling the purpose that we have for you. But here's an opportunity for you to step into that. Here's an opportunity of repentance to get back in the game and to be effective in what you're called to do. Kind of like football, right? There's probably going to be some wide receiver that's going to take the wrong route and the, foot, and the uh, quarterback is going to throw it as if he was going to go a different route. And they're going to huddle back up after that and there's going to be an invitation to say, hey, run the right routes. It'll actually be really good if you do. Because if you run right and I'm thinking you're running left, that's not going to work out too well. And so every time for us, every time we find ourselves wandering from God or in opposition to any of that, it could be in little things, it could be in big things, those are invitations. Never thought you would think denying the authority of God in my life is an invitation, but it's a beautiful thing that God is saying, hey, this is where you're stepped outside of the bounds of Scripture. Here's an opportunity for you to step back into it. One of my professors in my uh, undergrad, it was like my first year of Bible college, and, and I, was, I was so ignorant. Oh, my goodness. My teachers were probably thinking, I don't know if you're going to be a pastor, maybe a pastor of sanitation at the church, you know, like do the mopping or something like that, because your level of understanding is pretty low. And he had this really neat diagram. I should have like printed it off and brought it up and stuff like that. And it, it looked like a roundabout, you know, those things from the devil that nobody knows how to work and use. And then there's like three or four stacked together. And it's like, oh, you're going to take the second roundabout, the third exit. And you're like, I'm, I'm just driving over, right over it. <laughs> Hold on, kids, here we go. But it looked like a roundabout. And it was talking about scripture and it was using 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It said how the word of God is that. It's kind of like our GPS. You know, that horrible thing that tells us where you're going? Not your wife next to you, that little your device, right? The word of God is like a GPS where it tells us the direction we're going. It gives us the destination and it says, this is how we get there. We have a destination. We have the word of God to tell us how to get there. The fastest, easiest, the correct route to go. The problem with my life and sometimes my driving, I might take a wrong turn and I get off the path that God has for me. And what does that little device do? partnered with my wife, shouldn't have turned there. You're going the wrong direction. And so it shows me where I got off the path. It says, hey, you're, you're outside of the bounds. You're not going in the direction. You're not on the path anymore. And I need to know that. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't say, well, good luck. Hope you find it. <laughs> you're lost as an Easter egg. No, it shows me how to get back on the path. It corrects me. In a quarter mile, take the motorway. Does yours not sound like that, or is that just mine? It shows me how to get back on the path that God has for me. And then it keeps me on the path. It trains me in that righteousness to keep me on the path that God has for us. But if I'm going to be honest, I have to understand. I can't argue with my, maybe I could argue with my wife about it, but I can't argue with this GPS and get off the path and be like, oh, you need to get back on the path. No, you don't understand what you're talking about. 
I need to be honest and accept and understand, you're right. I'm, I'm pushing that authority out of my life. But if we can't be honest about that, how are we going to have deeper conversations? It's kind of like the hardest person to try to share the grace of Jesus Christ with, to try to talk about, hey, you need salvation. The hardest person is the one that doesn't think that they need saved. Sometimes it's not the one living in massive, grotesque sin. It's the one that sits in the pews every Sunday and says, oh, yeah, um, I live a good moral lifestyle. I'm, I'm ethically sound. I'm involved in different things. But they don't have a relationship with Jesus. The hardest person is the one that doesn't think that they need saved. And they're denying that. That's, that's why denial is such a scary, detrimental issue to our faith. And so Jesus, he, he brings that up and he's like, all right, you're going to die. Let's talk about it. Let me give you a couple parables. And I love that Jesus spoke in parables. I, that resonates with me. Like, I always tell people, like, flesh that out. Like, give me an example. I always need that. Give me an example. I'm not that smart, all right? Like, lower it here. You got to talk to the lower class people like me. Lower that down. Draw a picture, right? I'm better at that. And so he gives these two parables. He's like, all right, there's a dad. He's got two sons. And they're working. He tells one son, hey, he tells both of them to go and work. One son says, I'll go, and he doesn't go, right? That was me at school. Oh, I'll go. Didn't show up. Said I did. Didn't. And then you have the other son says, I'm not going to go. But then he shows up, and he works. He's like, who did the will of my father? And they answer correctly, the one that actually went to work. He's like, you've answered correctly. Understand that it's not about what they said. It's about what they did. And so this first son who says, answered no, but he went to work, Jesus is like, that's the tax collectors and the prostitutes who with the first part of their life said no to God and lived after their own desires and flesh and wantings and they got a little bit of a testimony in a past. That's some of us. Join the club. We meet here on Sundays. It's great. But then they went to work. Then there was a change. That Yeah, they said no at first, but then they served the father compared to the second son who answered yes, but didn't go. I would, as a, as a father myself, so my kids are in here, please listen, as a father, if I tell you to go clean your room and you tell me no, but then you go and clean your room, I'm happy because what do I want to see? A clean room. You want to tick me off as a father? Tell me, oh yeah, I'll go clean my room. And what do you do? Go play video games or drums or whatever else you want to do. Because <laughs> I want to see a clean room. I love Francis Chan. He talked about this analogy one time. He was like, uh, you know, you tell your kid to go and clean the room. What I don't want is my kid to come back and be like, I can quote exactly what you said. Go clean your room. No, I want you to clean the room. Comes back two hours later and the kid says, okay, I didn't clean my room, but I can say go clean your room in Greek. (laughs) No, go clean your room. Kid comes back. All right, didn't clean the room, but got some friends together. We grouped up. We talked about what the world would look like if we actually went and cleaned our rooms. It was awesome. We was emotional. We were crying, praying for each other about cleaning our rooms and the, and the stress and the pressures of that. No, go clean your room. God is calling us to be faithful 
and fruitful and fulfilling the call that he has on our lives. I said no to God for a lot of years. And then I said yes, which he would love that more than, oh, yes, Lord, I will, I will do your work. I am your child. Here I go. And I do nothing. So he's looking, he says, that's why there's tax collectors. And the, like he picks the bottom of the bottom of the culture in that day to say, they're walking ahead of you into the kingdom of God. Where these guys, the religious elite, they thought they were first in line. They were like the guys camping out at Best Buy on Thanksgiving. They thought, we're, if anybody's getting in there first, it's going to be us. And hopefully some of these ragtags might, you know, jump a ride on our coattails. Now you're at the end of the line. Some of you, you don't even know if you're going to make it in the building. And so this isn't an issue of ignorance, but of denial. And we can have the same struggles even in the church, that we can say what we think all day long. We could, we could spout a lot of good theology and talk about how that should impact our world. We could say what we think all day long, but we live what we believe. I forgot what celebrity it was. But he said, don't tell me what you believe. Just let me look at your life, and I'll tell you what you believe. Ooh. Even Jesus kind of said that. He was like, uh, you know, John the Baptist, when he was still alive, sent his disciples, said, hey, are you the chosen one? Or are we waiting for another one? He says, what do you hear? What do you see in me? You know what the Messiah should be doing. What do you think? Do I line up to that? We understand what it means to be a Christ follower. What does it mean to try to follow Jesus with our lives? We have an understanding of what that should look like. If we look at each other's lives, how are we lining up? Do people see in us and say, that's a follower of Jesus? That's somebody that's struggling, walking through life with a heart and a focus to honor Christ with their life. Are they perfect? No. Here's a small little soapbox, hopefully short. I don't think that the world outside of the church really struggles with the idea that we sin. I think they get it. They understand humanity. I think outside of the church, the struggle is when we act like we don't. Because what greater thing that we preach than grace and forgiveness? It's not the gospel of perfection. It's a gospel of completion that he completed everything on the cross, that we just have to surrender and submit to him, that it's not about our works, but it's about him. So we can say what we think all day long, but we live what we believe. The deaf man should be able to look at our life, and all we have to do is just sign the name Jesus. Why are you this way? Why do you love people that are very unlovable? Why are you less worried about yourself and more worried about other people? Why do you do this? Why do you? They should see these actions in our life and say, oh, that's simple, Jesus. Or sometimes we worry about all the other things, like we got to answer all these great questions and da, da, da. No. Let people look at our lives and just ask one simple question. Why are you the way that you are? What they're really asking is, hey, tell me the gospel. Because that should be our answer. Why am I the way I am? Because the love of Jesus in my life, the grace that he took a dirty, rotten sinner and decided to say, hey, you know what? We're going to do something with this guy. But live what you believe. 
one of, uh, we talked to the mayor tonight, one of the couples. What, what was a couple that you really looked up to? And one of our answers was uh, a couple named Tom and Barb Savage. They're in uh, Florida now. And they were our pastors when me and Ashley were uh, first getting into just serving and going to church. And man, they were just so gracious to let this. We were like in our early 20s. Uh, nobody else really in the church was at that age, you know, and we just had crazy ideas and they just gave us a space to serve and to do different things, uh, especially in our ignorance. And it was just, it was just awesome. And they, they were the ones that said, hey, you should really think about youth ministry. And it's like, we're too broken for all that. Like, you don't want people like us trying to pour into your students. Like, we're the couple that you point to and say, yeah, don't be like them. You want to do well in life? Don't be like them. And they said, no. And so they worked with us and, and helped us process our, our past and our brokenness to be effective for the Lord. It was amazing. But she would always say something, and it, again, has always impacted me. She would be poor, and she had a, a small group of high school girls that would come over to the house, and they would just sit and talk and just process life and faith, and they'd get real honest. And, and she would always challenge them. That it's not about what you know, it's about what you live. And, and she even said it in a harsher way. She said, you guys know more than what you live. That some of these kids came from great Christian homes and they were part of the church and, and they knew great things, but they lived very little of it. And I just pray that that's not us. Is there always going to be an issue to that? Absolutely. I know what God has called me to do and to be as a husband and a father. And you can ask my kids and my wife. It's a, it's a quick answer. Do I always live up to that? Absolutely not. And so there's always going to be the issue that we know more than what we live. I just think that that gap shouldn't be as wide. There's always going to be that struggle. And I think that's good because it always gives me a destination and something to aim for, that I'm never going to reach perfection. That's why it's called sanctification. We're all in process, and we're seeing how the Lord is working and moving, but it, there's, there's always a next step. There's always a deeper water that he's calling me out to, and so we can say what we think all day, but we live what we believe, because Jesus, I don't think he wants vocal agreements, but life obedience. Again, going back to the sons, they both said different answers, but who did the will of the Father? The one that changed his life. Not the one that said all this, but the one that did what the Father asked. Go work in the vineyard. All right, I will. Not with his mouth, but with his actions. He answered the question. And so we need to answer the question, not with our words, but with our lives. And so one of the greatest sins that's going to keep us from this transformed, fruitful life for Jesus, not something big and glaring on the outside, it's going to be something small, internal. And what we see in these religious elites, it's going to be pride and selfishness. It's going to be self-righteousness to think, oh, I'm already doing everything that God's called me to do. Listen to what you're saying if that's, and I've been there. Oh, I don't have a next step. I'm already at the deepest of my walk with the Lord. I'm already fully fulfilling everything that he's called me to do. No, there's always, there's always something you can do. Listening to uh, a Navy SEAL, he was the one that the whole movie Lone Survivor was based on. He was giving his testimony actually up in Columbia to the uh, football team, college football team. And he said, there's always something else you can do. There's always one more thing that you can do. 
You're always, if you're alive, you're still on mission and there's still one more thing that you can do. It's like that guy should be a preacher because all of us still have a pulse. I don't care if you're eight or 88 or 108. If you have a pulse, you still have something that God is still calling you to do. Ashley's grandpa was in the nursing home and, and he knew he was going downhill fast. And he said, as long as I can still pray, I know my life has purpose. And he would sit there all day long and go through the kids. He'd go through the grandkids. He'd go through the great grandkids and he'd start back over again. Go through the kids and he'd be praying for them. And it was only a, a week or two before he passed, we went in to visit him and he said, I'm just having trouble praying. And me and Ashley knew. Well done, good and faithful servant. You did what God called you to do. And you fulfilled your purpose. But I don't think it's a vocal agreement that Jesus wants, but life obedience. And we cannot let pride and self-righteousness and selfishness get in the way of this. And this is why they refuse to believe in John the Baptist and his authority. And if we refuse to change, we're refusing transformation. And, and I get it. It's like, I've always lived like this way. I've always been like this. And okay, maybe you should wake up not being so grumpy in the morning. Well, I'm, I'm just not a morning person. Who is, right? You got a nice warm bed, soft pillow, comforter. I'm not getting out of that at all. Some of you are like, oh, I'm a morning person. And a lot of times we want to look at our lives and, and change is hard. I get it. Some of you didn't even like that we moved the seats. Some of you still don't. Okay, get over it. <laughs> There's seats. Change is hard. But if we refuse to change and to let God change in us, we're refusing transformation. That he really wants to bring about the most effective, the greatest impact with our lives. And so when we refuse to change, we're telling the Holy Spirit, no, I'm good. I don't need anything. I'm, I'm all right. And then he gives another parable. And he talks about these tenants. And this is, this is the part that I think really hit them. So you're looking at it. So you have the master of the house, who is God. You have the vineyard, which is Israel. And obviously we understand the purpose of the vineyard is to bear fruit. And the tenants, who it was leased out to. And I love the part that the master already did everything planted the vineyard, built a wine press, built a tower. Like this was a nice vineyard. It wasn't like some shabby, like, hey, here's some land, throw it together. Good luck. No, like he got this thing working and operating, handed over a really nice piece of property, good business here. And he hands it over to the Jewish leaders. Those are the tenants and they're not fruitful. He leases it out so that he could gain fruits. And when he comes to seek that fruit, nope, it isn't. So you, you can go back to uh, verse 18 and 19 in chapter 21, talking about this fig tree that didn't bear fruit, just another sign that Jesus is just poking the bear of the Jewish leaders. You're, you're denying your purpose. You're supposed to be bearing fruit for the kingdom, and you're not. And then you look at these servants that the master sent to, to collect fruit, and they were killed and beaten. Just read the Old Testament. How many of these prophets just were beaten and killed? Like Jeremiah, his nickname was the weeping prophets. Like God told him, don't even marry because they're just going to kill your wife. <laughs> oh, okay, already then. Imagine that on your first date. Like, hey, this is going really well. But if, if we take it to the next level, God's going to take you out, just so you know that. Like the Jewish leaders are. Like, yeah, you don't want to do that. 
And so it's just a testimony of just recounting what has happened in the Old Testament. It's like, and you guys have done that. The blood of those prophets is on your hands. But he says, maybe I'll send my son and they'll respond to him. And we saw that, that they saw Jesus, not for, there should have been hope when the Messiah came, but they only saw him for a completely different purpose and what they wanted out of him. They didn't see him saying, oh, here's the son, let's honor and respect him. No, let's kill him and take his inheritance because we cannot lose authority. And so they're denying that God wants to do a new work. And so he's going to come. He's going to take those tenants, throw them out. And what is he going to do? He's going to lease this to other tenants. So what's God talking about here? What's Jesus referring to in this parable? That if he's going to take it from these people, sorry, (laughs) shouldn't kill Jesus and give it to these people. What are we talking about? That he originally was working through Israel but they rejected the Messiah. They rejected their purpose and their calling. He says, all right. And again, this isn't a New Testament thing. You can go back to the Old Testament to see the promise was that there was going to be a Gentile influence in this. So I'm going to give it to other people. And so God wants to work through those who will be fruitful to him. Kind of think about that. God wants to work in your life. He wants to work in your life and he wants you to bear fruit for his kingdom and it'd be for you for your good, his glory, that he wants to do a work in you. But if you keep refusing, all right, I'll find somebody else. Like I had this, I wanted to do this in and through you, but if you keep rejecting me, all right, I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna go somewhere else. And, and even as a little kid, when I had my toys taken away from me, And I've done that as a father too. And you give them to the other sibling, you know, they're fighting over it. So you take it from one, you give it to the other. That's not a fun feeling. And we're just talking about stuffed animals and video games. But the move and the work of God in your life, the ministry that he has, if we're going to reject him, he's going to take it and he's going to move through somebody else that he wants to walk and work through people that are going to be fruitful to him, even if it's another group of people. That's why I think it's our turn to step up to step out and to step into people's lives. That's our kind of our focus for 22, that God wants to work in and through us. Are we going to faithfully respond to that leading and that guiding? Now, what does that look like? Oh, that's a great question. That's what I'd ask you. Here, let me, let you, you're asking me that question. Let me ask you a question, very Jesus-esque. What is God doing in your life? What does he want you to step up into, step out of your comfort zones and step into people's lives? Where is that for you? And then at the end, Jesus quotes Psalm 118. And the very one that Israel rejected, that was the one that all this was going to be built upon. That's what a cornerstone was. That In this day, when you built a house, you would get a really nice, good-sized rock. Don't ask me how you moved that. And you would put it at the corner of your house so that the weight of these two walls would lean on that cornerstone, that everything was built upon it. And all those rocks were fitted and perfectly put together to build this wall, to build a house. And we are those stones built, leaning the weights on the cornerstone, that our foundation is Christ. And what he is saying is that that very cornerstone, either some, it's going to be a stumbling block, And they're going to trip over it and they're going to be crushed. Now, the the hard part is sometimes us stones, we're not in the best shape, right? And sometimes you need to chisel 
a little bit. Some of us need a little more chiseling than others. No, I'm not talking about body size. But as God wants to fit us together into what he's doing, he needs to chisel some things away. He needs to chisel some sin away in my life. He needs to chisel some self-righteousness out of my life. He needs to shape me so that I'm effective and he fits us together. And so this cornerstone is going to do that or this cornerstone is absolutely going to break and crumble us. And so the choice is before us today as it was the religious leaders because they knew Jesus is talking about us. And the same is true today. Jesus is talking about us. Not those denying outside of the church. He's talking to us. And we can be broken in humble surrender to Jesus where he's going to take us and fit us together or we can be completely broken in judgment. And so I encourage you, surrender your life to the Lord. Well, I've already given my life to the Lord. I've been saved. No, no, no. Give your life to the Lord. Allow him to shape you, to lead you and guide you because he wants to fit you into what he is doing. And it is going to be beautiful. And the best part is we are all leaning on that foundation of the cornerstone, that it is Christ, that he's not doing this thing without you, but he wants to do this with you together. Is that not a just amazing promise that God's not like, hey, get out of my way. I'm going to do this. No, no, no. He's constantly inviting us in if, if we will. So what is God doing in your life? Where's that invitation in your life that he's saying, hey, I'm doing something. I want you to be a part of this. Are we living in denial and saying, no, Lord, I don't want to change. I've always been this way. I've always worked at this place. I've always been this, da, da, da. Or are we saying, you know what? All right. This might be a new season of my life that God is doing a new thing. I don't know what that is, but I'm ready. He might have you change occupations. I'm a testimony to that. I thought I'd be stabbing babies for the rest of my life. Sorry, Kim, I know she hates that joke. But God said, I'm doing something else. I'm doing a new work. We even, as we take communion, we talk about that. This is a new covenant. God is doing a new thing. And he wants to do a new work, a new fresh work in your life. And if you have a pulse, you still have purpose. And are you willing to surrender and say, all right, Lord, what is that? I don't know. I wish I knew. I wish I could stand at the back door and as you walked out, be like, Jeff, here's your new purpose. JJ, here's your new purpose. Aaron, here's you. I wish I could. But you don't want to hear it from this guy. But what we do have the promise is God will lead and guide and he will reveal that to you. The question is, will you surrender to him? Will you allow him to do that fresh new work in your life? Because I still think the best is yet to come. I don't think the church in any context, any season of, the, of human history looks back and say, those were the glory days. Oh, if it could only be like the Jesus movement back when Chuck Smith was baptizing the hippies in the ocean. No, no, no. God still wants to do a greater work moving forward. The question is, do we want God to do a new work in us? So Father, we love you. We trust you. And even when we don't, Lord, we ask. Give us strength in our faith. 
Help us believe even in our unbelief. But we surrender to you. And we know that you want to do a fresh new work in our life. That you are calling each and every one of us into a deeper walk with you, into a, a deeper ministry, to be more effective and fruitful for you. And Lord, we just praise you for that. That you choose to work through us, knowing that that ministry not only uh, is for those around us to hopefully build your kingdom and bring people into a relationship with you, but it deepens our faith. It deepens our walk. It brings newness even to us as we serve those around us for you. So I pray, Lord, that we would lay down our doubts, we would lay down our denial, our pride, that we would surrender those to you and allow you to move and work in our lives. Give us that kind of boldness. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Um, guys, if you want to hear that message again, it'll be uploaded online over the next couple of days. Um, if you guys need any prayer, we'll be over here as a pastoral staff. If you need any information, the connect wall out there. You guys have a great week. Go love God, love others, impact the world. We'll see you.